Hi guys, this is John McGann from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland and I'm here with my co-host Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we've created the podcast Control the Coronables, which includes some of the top players from around the world. Our objective is very simple. We want to be able to educate, entertain and energize the tennis community during this very difficult period that we're all going through. Hope you enjoy our next podcast. Welcome to episode 12 of Control the Coronables with Lee Childs, current head coach at Queen's Club, former top 250 player in the world. At the age of 17, he was ranked 350 in the world, one of, one of Britain's brightest ever prospects. He tells a great story. It's a story that you need to listen to. Enjoy. Lee, it's unbelievable to have you on our podcast today. A big, big thank you from myself and Dan for giving your time up. It's uh, fantastic to have you on. No problem, mate. Uh, pleasure to be here. Magic. Um, we're just going to do a, a, a little short profile on yourself. Um, you've had an ATP career ranking of 251 in 2004 in singles and 344 in doubles in 2005. You've reached the second round of Wimbledon, defeating Nikolai Davidenko in the, first, in, in the first round and in the second round where you lost out to Rafael Nadal. Um, two big players in the, in the men's game. You're a Grand Slam champion in juniors and you're a former British number one. Again, a big thank you for your time today. And, uh, no worries, mate. And Chinky Dan here. I'll, for, for those listening, I've, I go way too far back with Chinky. It's going to be, it's going to be almost <laughs> impossible for me to call him Lee throughout this. Sorry, be really formal there. Do we, do we need to explain? I don't know if we need to explain or not. But, well, uh, I think just maybe, maybe let people know it's a nickname. Nothing, nothing more than that. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's nothing more than that, but it goes, it goes back a long time. I, myself and Chinky yeah. and many of the other boys, we lived at Bisham Abbey at the National Training Centre at the time, um, so we were like brothers. So it's, it's great to catch up with you, um, mm. and, but a bit strange times to be catching up. Huh? How's, how's things going your end? Yeah, well, it is. Uh, yeah, thanks for the intro, guys. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's tricky, right? I mean, everyone's sort of, it's the unknown, really. It's the sort of you know homeschooling which is uh you know that's a lesson in itself um and uh you know just trying to sort of stay positive and and, and find ways of of still staying fit and healthy and communicating with people staying in touch with people which i think is really important because you know if everyone just switches off completely you can get all sorts of issues off the back of that um but just being sensible you know with with the, with what you're doing but it's yeah it's, it's really bizarre crazy times and with you now being being the head coach at Queen's Club, a very prestigious club, how how are you guys? How are you kind of navigate you guys navigating through this period? Yeah, so uh, yeah, we've been shut now for four weeks, um, and it's been it's been tricky. You know, it's been very tricky. But what we have been doing um, is doing a lot of sort of Zoom meetings with. I've been I've been hosting quite a few Zoom meetings with members and choosing different topics to talk about um i've got i've got one next uh, actually got one tomorrow with uh, james auckland uh, we're doing a doubles double specialist type thing um just doing different things like that doing crazy not crazy challenges but little challenges tennis challenges with the racket ball skills 
um, you know, to keep the juniors and adults in, in stuff that you can do at home. Um, just, just little things like that. Just trying to stay in touch with them, you know, just get, emailing, calling, just, just things like that, really, because no one knows really when we're going to be back on court. Um, you know, the word is that we've probably got another three weeks of sort of hard lockdown, but you know, that could change. We don't know yet, do we? Um, so yeah, no, it's just all just things like that, really, Dan. That's uh, that's the main uh, the main thing. And with a sport like tennis as well, though, it's how do we go from stay in your house, stay in your house, stay in your house? Mm. A thousand people now in a club next day. Mm. You know, I, I can understand. Mm. I can understand how some tennis clubs might be able to open and say, okay, the, the courts are of use and you can have the odd individual lessons and you can, you've still some form of um, separation from each other. But you, yeah. it's, it's hard to imagine that it's just going to go from, from zero to hero so quickly. Yeah. I mean, we, we certainly, at the, just before we had the sort of the proper lockdown, we certainly we closed all our indoor courts. It was only outdoors that you were allowed to play. Um, you, you it had to be singles, no doubles, obviously for the for the distancing. Um, you had to leave the court, you know, five minutes before the end, and then the, the next people coming on had that sort of gap of where there was you weren't yeah. passing, if you like, in the gateways. Yeah. Um, it's it's just very very difficult, and I think you know it's it's something that we're not used to you know it's a social game tennis right at clubs especially like queens a very social part of it is is that you know meeting people talking to people having a laugh you know all that sort of stuff didn't think twice about it right no one thought anything more of it and now we've got this situation where you know the coronavirus and everyone's sort of petrified to go within you know 100 meters of anyone um it's difficult and i think at the other end of this is that's where we've got to try and build people's confidence up to get back on court to start doing these things again. But I think it's going to be a very gradual thing, Dan. I don't, I don't think it's going yeah. to be suddenly the doors are open. Yeah. We're back to, we're back to normal. It's going to be tricky and I'm not sure how we're going to work it out yet. I'm really not sure. Depends on the, on the advice we get and the guidance, but I just, I'm not sure how, how it's going to work yet. If yeah. I'm being honest. And I think that's where also the online. I think if we're if we're all being honest as well, I think there's some of some of some people have been dinosaurs. I I, I don't include yeah. myself in that because I, I've not been able to be in running an academy. Yeah. No, you're very active. You've been very active, Dan, on the uh, social media and everything, which I think is the way forward, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be. I mean, I think in terms of ourselves, obviously, as a private tennis academy. We, we set up social media 10 years ago when we opened the academy and, and, and have had good success through it. We have to have an audience. We have to get our message out there on what we're doing. And, and, and I do believe that it is the future of the world. You know, we've, we've all got kids in this chat and our, how, how much are kids addicted to phones from an early age? They know what they're doing from an early age. And it's, it, it is the future of the world. You know, this, yeah. me, me and John, when we set this pod, podcast up four weeks ago, he, John couldn't spell Zoom. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely didn't even know what Zoom was. I'm, I, I've right. never offered. <laughs> Now, now gonna this is what we're dealing with, Kino. This is what we're dealing with, man. <laughs> he's got a tattoo on his arm, Zoom, you know, the Zoom. Thing. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. And, it, it's gonna... and I think, that, I, 
I think for me, I think there's opportunity for people that do get on that because and get this mm. understanding. It, it is the way I think the world's going anyway. And I think there's mm. going to be, there's going to be a period of time, like you said, social distancing is going to be a thing for a while. People building confidence up with each other is going to be a thing that's going to take a while. But anyway, I, I do believe that that's the way that the world is moving. Um, and I think it's really interesting actually for a club like Queens that's so traditional and such yeah. a, a world renowned tennis club, you know, and it's, yeah. You know how I guess there, there's nothing more traditional than having a game of tennis and you know coming off court and having your tea and having you you know living the very English English life, you know and it's I think that it'll be interesting how you guys navigate through the whole technological boom. But I'm sure you're ready yeah. for it. Yeah, that no, and and you, one bit you forgot, you know, is we're all dressed in white as well. Okay, don't forget yeah. that little part <laughs> of it. Okay, yeah. right. So, um, so that just. You, you know, you can. Everyone listening can. You just set the tone of Queens, Wimbledon. It's very traditional. There's a lot of history. You know, there's there's a huge amount of history at these clubs. Um, and like I said, you know, you've got the whole all whites rule. You know, all white clothing. Um, we don't go quite as far with the white shoes, but you know, you know, it's it's almost there. Um, so it's, it's, it, you're absolutely right, mate. It's difficult because everyone's used to doing something a certain way. And that club and clubs like that, the very traditional tennis clubs, are like that. They don't like change. Uh, it takes quite a while for it to filter through. But I have to say, um, this period um, has, I think, got a lot more people realizing that online learning, you know, doing some of the sessions online, doing some of that stuff is, is really as important as being on court for an hour, hitting forehands cross court or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've certainly done quite a lot of homework over the last few weeks of watching different different bits online, and, and not only just tennis. You know, all, I was just saying earlier about the golf. You know, watching yep. a chapter, a lesson on on the biomechanics of the of, of your swing, and, and how that, and, and actually how it it was very easy to relate to tennis. And yep. actually, he wasn't hitting any balls; he was standing there doing lots of different movement and stuff. And actually, we could do a lot of that with tennis, right? We don't. I think there's, there's bits there that could work definitely. And again, it, it could also work for all levels of play, you know, whether you're a beginner, intermediate, advanced, performance, high performance, whatever you are, or wherever you fit, um, there's something there for everyone. You know, it's not, um, it's not sort of, it won't just fit one type of player or person. Um, I think I, I completely agree. I think this is, this is going to show even more so. And actually it's probably just going to accelerate it a bit more. Um, that that's the way we need to start going a bit more because like I was saying, you know, this guy that was doing this one hour golf lesson on this, on this swing and how to get more like, you know, power in your rotation stuff. He had 79 people all tuned in listening to that one hour. Yeah. Now, Amazing, yeah. when have we ever had seven, when, when have we ever had 79 people on the court for an hour at the same time? can't happen right i mean you just can't do it but you can you can see how you can you can then get to more people and, and actually um there's there's a business there there's a real business there as well you're you're right there lee though you know in terms of you know when you're talking about you know biomechanical learning that you know there's so much you can do without the ball as well like learning about how your body's moving what way it's got to function in different situations um, so, like you said, it, it, it is a great opportunity for coaches, for players to actually learn during this period 
rather than just totally down in tools. Uh, this is the time, you know, to, to start picking up some new skills. You know, as as coaches, we can all be picking up different bits of bits and pieces here and there. You know, um, listening to different people it doesn't have to be tennis. You know, it can be any coaching scenario. Um, it's a great opportunity, right? Because let's yeah. face it, we can't, we haven't got anywhere to go. <laughs> so we got, you know, we've got the time. Um, we've got the time to actually do something with it and not waste it in a way. Yeah, yeah. big time. I have a question. I have to ask it. Um, Here we go. <laughs> I have to ask this question. You mentioned yeah. you mentioned the Zoom calls that you're having yeah. with the members and chats. Have yeah. they all been sitting there in all white? Uh, I have, because I'm you that have. professional, Dan. So you have. I've been there. I've been sat there in my Queens Queens Club uh, polo shirt, of course. Because we need, um, to get this. we need to get this virtual online learning etiquette correct. You know, if this is yeah, two hundred years down the line, Queens Club remote or Queens Club virtual, this is it. Mm. This chat could be the one they go back to when when those rules yeah. were decided. So, is yeah. the virtual remote Queens Club um, courses that are going to run? Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that after Chinky. Is yeah. are they, they going to run? with the all whites rules still in place i think so i think you know i'm i think anything i i personally and any of the coaches that work there they do anything with queens they yeah. have to be in and, and that's part of what i yep. uh, put to them as well is that you know you have to have to look the part and that's part of the the club is the the all white stuff and the queen's club logos and all the rest of it that's that's um that's their uniform if you like you know yeah um and I and I do all my stuff. Anything I do with Queens, I will be in the right kit. Yeah, it's good. And and I think there's a lot. You get a lot of people that talk about, um, you know, tennis gets a bit of a hard rap at times, and and mm. and obviously they talk about. And actually, being in an academy world, does the the money in tennis is nowhere near the money that's in a sport like golf. But you know, they talk about it being a, an upper class sport and it's, you know, people can't. And, and obviously one of the things we do talk about is, is the all whites and clubs that have all white. And I can see that point in, in, in some regards, but I must admit yeah. personally, I think there's something quite special. You know, I certainly mm -hmm. have that whenever you go to Wimbledon. I think there is something quite special that it's uniformed and that you're, you're part of something and you feel like you're going into part of history. And I think it, it's important for, for the heritage of a club like Queen's that they keep that. Um, have you always thought like that, Chinky, or do you think that's something that you've kind I, of changed as you've been a part of it? Um, I think I've grown more so that way. I think at the start, I, I'm like you, Dan, where when you walk into, walk into the All England Club or yeah. you walk into Queen's, I think it's a, it's a sign of respect that you keep up the tradition. You know, you're, it's, it's, it's a traditional club. That's yeah. what they do. And that's what you should, we should be doing. When you go into that club, you should, your role, and my, you know, my role is as the head coach there and all the rest of it. And, and you're just going in there. You should, you should have the respect to keep up the tradition. You know, yeah. that's been there forever. Right. Yeah. So why, why should I be any, why should I be trying to do anything different or change it? You should just try and keep it up. Right. I mean, it's a, it does make it. Um, it does make it the feeling, you know. And I know exactly what you mean. You know, you go into Wimbledon when the championships is on. 
and the feeling and everyone's dressed like that and everyone's got it, it it's just that slightly bit that is that magic that that's what that feeling that feeling of walking in there i mean look me and you have walked in that place god knows how many times right uh, and i'm talking about wimbledon now um it doesn't matter how many times you walk in there every single time you walk in it feels special right um and I think it adds to the, the, the all white stuff and the traditional way they do things and all the rest of it. Yeah. That's what makes it special, right? I mean, that's, that's part of it. It is. And, and, and I think on that point, you know, I've been fortunate as, as yourself, Chinky, to, to mm. have been to pretty much all of the, the, the big events in the world. And, yeah. and whenever people ask me what's the best tennis tournament in the world, I think as, a, as what I think of a tennis tournament... Yeah, I always think Australian Open and, and, and yeah. Rome. I love Rome, but Australian Open I love. However, mm. that's because I almost don't think of Wimbledon as just a tennis tournament. You know, in terms mm. of in terms of an event and in terms of some kind, like you say, something that you're you're a part of the history, the tradition, the the feeling, mm. the vibe, the you know all of those things that you get. Nothing even comes close to touching Wimbledon. No. Like, like even no. like like even close. Whereas no. in, in terms of going to big parks, because ultimately that's what that's what Australian Open and and US Open are. They're big parks. <laughs> They're big yeah. parks and the spectacular and the stadiums and the you know it's the Raz and the and the music and, and they, they are absolutely amazing. But it's it's a really interesting one. It's a really interesting. Yeah. One. And obviously, just my last thing on that because I want to I want to get into you as a tennis player. Um, yeah. Wimbledon, you're also quite heavily involved in Wimbledon. You're a member at Wimbledon. You work at yeah. Wimbledon um, as a player liaison officer over the years. Yeah, I've I've, I've done that. I did that for about two or three years. I don't do any. I'm not doing it now, but I did do it for two or three years, which was good fun, which is great. And and what about you? How how active are you in the club as a member? Yeah, I, I'm. I would say I'm a pretty active member there. Um, I'm lucky enough. I'm a full member, been full member for quite some time. Been a member there for, you know, many years now. Um, play a lot of the play, play matches for the club. Play against the Fitzwilliam over, every year, uh, which is my favourite fixture of the year. Really, um, I play various other fixtures through the year. Uh, play the club tournament there. Won that a few times. Um, yeah, just I think I'm pretty happy. Go there, you know, go there for dinner. You know, the different events they have on. I, you know, I'm. I think. Me, I'm I'm quite a club person. I quite I'm I'm I enjoy it. You know, I go there. I like to use it where I don't like to just have it and you know and not use it. I'm I'm one of those guys that I'm I like being part of the club, and so I want to I want to be there. I want to be using it as much as possible. Obviously, can't be there all the time. You know, you've got uh, kids and all the rest of it work and all the rest of it going on. But as much as I can, I try and get down there and play. What's your membership fee at Wimbledon every year? <laughs> I can't answer that, Kenny. <laughs> I know it's it, really it, cheap, though. This is the word. I, all, I, all I'm going to say is it's good value. Yeah, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. I tell you what, years ago you would have answered that. I tell you, it's amazing. I love it, Kenny. <laughs> that, that, that moves me into the next bit, actually. Because oh, here we go. Here we go. You, anybody that knew Lee Childs, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, um, 
the, the, the route that you've then gone, which I guess I'd like to go on a bit of a journey with you now, you know, that sure. you, you've kind of gone on a tennis journey. One of the things that with me and John speaking to people that I've, I've, I find fascinating, and hopefully the listeners do as well, tennis is such an amazing vehicle to so many different places and different destinations, mm. you know, and from sports psychologists to agents to, you know, there's so many tennis coaches, you know, it goes into many different routes. I wouldn't have picked Lee Childs as the head coach of, of Queen's Club and <laughs> many, many a year ago. And the bit that I'd like to start with, and then I, I kind of want you to, would like to hear your tennis journey. For, for those yeah. who, my big memory of you as a tennis player, I don't remember anyone hitting a forehand harder. Yeah. I don't remember many people hitting a serve harder. Um, yeah. I remember at 17, you winning ATP tour matches. I remember you beating Sargi Sargosian. Sargisian. Yeah, Sargisian. Yeah. The Brighton, Brighton ATP. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. And, and I believe at 17, you were about 350 in the world ATP. Yeah. So, so, so you'd had a pretty spectacular um, c- career up until that point to get to that point. Um, yeah. What's your memory of your junior career leading up to that? Um, I think the big, big turning point for me, so if we go back a bit from that moment that, of, of that 17, 18, you know, that, that time, if we go back to say when I was sort of, you know, 12, 13, that sort of age, um, come from a little village in, 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 Paul, in Somerset called Paula, tiny little village, rural village, um, you know, middle of nowhere really, but, you know, lovely place and all the rest of it, but not really what you would call a tennis community like um headmaster at my primary school basically got got us all playing tennis he loves he was sport mad and in particular he loved tennis so got so basically got all the kids playing tennis at primary school um bearing in mind there was only one class of each year with about 20 kids in each class you know um it's all playing anyway then then i just loved it from that from literally the the moment i started hitting balls at five six years of age i loved it i was i was hooked on it right so then i just carried on playing you know and luckily my parents were quite were, were keen for me to be sporty um because they were both sporty but not not tennis at all yeah. um so i got went to some local like group coaching once a week at sort of six or seven years of age played like lots of short tennis stuff came to short tennis matches and all the rest of it um and then you know just went on and on and on and then you start playing a bit more and then and then you know luckily i got asked to go to bisham abbey at the time which at the time basically the top two kids in each age group got asked to go like you know kino you were you were you were part of that as well um a couple of years older than me i might add but you know you're part of it um and um anyway so we you know and i think the big turning point for me was going to bishop because i went from playing probably about six hours a week at home you know up to that point when i was about so going to bishop i was 14 right 13 14 um and there around that i mean i I, remember your first night at bishop remember what we did i remember i I remember playing uh football out on the front grass yep that was um I remember playing football and I was horrendous compared to you lot playing football. But one thing I did do is pick that. I did pick it up quite quickly. Anyway, anyway. Uh, but that was a big turning point for me, Kino, you know, because actually going from playing six hours a week to playing four hours every day with the training um, and living and breathing tennis, um, for me, I embraced it and loved it, uh, I have to say. And I love being around you guys. I wasn't worried about being away from home. 
Uh, not that I didn't enjoy being at home. I love mum, dad, brother, two brothers. Like we, you know, but I had, I just really wanted to play tennis, you know, and I knew that, that that's what I needed to do. And I really, really enjoyed that go move, making that move um, and being able to go from playing, you know, like I said, six hours a week, maybe to four hours every day. Um, and, 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 you know, and that, that was a big point, big, I made a big jump then, I think in my tennis playing um, uh, ability was that was because of that. And, and the people that were there, you know, I had all you guys pushing, you know, I was, me and Jimmy Nels were the youngest two there when I started. And then, then Ben Riley turned up uh, and Banksy was there for a bit as well. Um, uh, I can't help smile when I say Ben Riley's name. But that, and then I, you know, I had a lot of people to look up to and sort of chase, you know, I had a lot of people that you're trying to catch up or, or, you know, compete with. And, you know, and you know what it was like, you know, when we were there, you know, it didn't matter if we were, we were lining up to have breakfast in the morning. It was a competition, right? I mean, everything was, was, was there was so much competitive element to everything we did. And I, and me, everything, right? Whether it was, who was first in the breakfast thing, who was first on the bus, who got this, who did that, you know, everything was a competition. Yeah. And I love that, right? I love that feeling yeah, yeah, of there's yeah. something on it all the time. I love it. I can't, look, one thing I don't do, I, ne- I don't gamble. I've never gambled. And I'll tell you why I never gamble, because I know I love the feeling. Because the <laughs> feeling of when, some, when something's on it, I love that feeling. Right? Yeah. I love it. And, I, and, I, and that's why I don't go near it. I don't take drugs and I don't go near, I don't gamble because I know I love the feeling and I can't, I just know myself. You know what I mean? So when you, when you, that was that situation at Bishop, it was a big competitive, you know, arena, right? We were constantly, whatever we're doing. And I loved it. And that really pushed me on, I think. And then, you know, it just went from, I, I went from there. Started. I can't let you go past that, Chinky, because I think, yeah. I think the points you make, they're such amazing points, and it's and it's so true. And and uh, to to kind of paint a picture for those listening, there was there was twelve of us at that point. The girls weren't yeah. there anymore when you arrived. When I first was no, there, no, they they finished. We we started as they finished. Yeah, and there, were, there was twelve boys there that were. I mean, I was, I think, number six in the world in juniors doubles and number fifty in the world in in singles, and and I felt I was rubbish. Mm. Like, wow. and, 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 you know, that I genuinely do. I, I, my, some of my takeaways, and I have amazing positive takeaways from that time, and they're, they're the overriding. Mm. But I also have some really quite difficult ones that, you know, that, that I've had to, which have, which have helped me make my character over the years. And, and there was definitely sure. a moment where I didn't think my level was very good because the level was so high and it was quite a brutal environment. You know, I mean, where, and where, yeah all close like brothers we don't speak all the time but you know i think we we we, we will always have that connection and and it was sure. a case of being on the court there was no choice and I, and I do a lot of work now on the, on the mental side of the game and we talk a lot about creating competition like pressure in on the practice court and yeah. and, and i almost feel as a coach nowadays we need to be really creative in doing that and whereas back in our day, that was just there with us. It was, if you came to volley, it was yeah. about success from the back, person at the back was hitting the, the, yeah. the player anywhere on the volley. 
And you know I like that. <laughs> no, no, of course. And, and so, so you were, you were, there's no wonder we all ended up having great volleys and great hands because yeah. We, were, yeah. we were literally trying to stop balls hitting our nose, breaking our nose, you know. And if somebody got hit, the whole place erupted yeah. and everyone was cheering. <laughs> yeah. you know? Whereas yeah. if I think, if I think nowadays with some of the players that we that we have over the years and some of the environments I see, it's the yeah. next thing you know. There's there's about fifteen phone calls that you that it's a form of, and, and it's it, and actually in reality, I think maybe maybe nowadays we're missing a bit of a trick on that because as you talk about yeah. it so enthusiastically, it it brings out yeah. a lot in me, and it's true. It was. Yeah. It was it was competition after competition after competition. Yeah. And that brings me into the next bit before, because I don't want you to quite move on from this yet, because you talk about yeah. the, so the role models, you know, there was certainly kind of some role models in terms of results. And one thing that I'm pretty proud of with all of us, I don't think our effort levels ever dropped, you know, because of no. this competitive vibe, but I'm not sure yeah. we necessarily always took the best care of ourselves off the court. What's your memory? Yeah, of that? no. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I hear you, Keanu. I hear you, and I think, I think you are, you're right with the role model stuff. There was, there was good and bad, right? Um, it was good and bad. There was probably, if I'm being honest, there was probably a little bit too much flexibility on what, where we could go, and all the rest of it, and all, and all that. Um, you know, in the in the evenings and stuff. And I think, you know, you know, you know, young lads away from home. Reins have been cut, you know. You're gonna you're gonna sort of explore a bit, right? I mean, that's just I think it can be a bit natural. That's just a natural thing. Um, and I think some, you know, some of the older guys there were were happy to take people along, you know, that sort of thing. But I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. There was good and bad, right? The good stuff. I I think we all we certainly all pushed each other on. Um, massively i certainly remember some great sessions and even the coaches you know getting involved they were also you know you remember jimmy t i mean he wasn't taking any prisons right you know i mean he if it wasn't me trying to hit someone at the net with a volley he's going to hit you you know it was that you know we had phil fowler there ian barkley who's who's the godfather of tennis in my view um he was he was great uh real sort of father figure to many of us really uh when we were staying there um and uh, and Jackie, his, his dear wife, um, you know, she was she was she was great. Smoked fifty a day, but you know, um, that was Jackie, right? I mean, you know, she'd watch us play matches, and you know, outdoors or whatever. She'd go through a pack of fags just watching us play, each of us, right? I mean, this is what we're, you know, when you say, you know, these people like you know Barker's and his missus, and then we've got Jimmy T and Phil, you know, and us lot, they were all with us, you know all the time um they were part of it mate you know they got into it they were right into it they was as they was as tight as us playing half the time you know they were getting they were getting tight you know watching us and wanting us to win and i have to say we did a lot of winning right in that period i mean at one point we had all national titles singles and doubles i think correct me if i'm wrong here no i think we all had it in all age groups we had everything yeah. um we had you know, Buddock Burger, which Marty Lee, old Buddock Burger, he was he was flying at the time. You know, he was, one in the world. He was doing well. Yeah, number one in the world junior. He was then off, you know, winning matches on tour events and things like that, and Davis Cup and all that sort of stuff. You know, I'm talking when I was, you know, 14, 15. He, you know, he's there doing all that. We had we had we had a great setup, mate. Um, 
in my view, that really outweighs the bad stuff. And you're right, there were Citric, you know, and I think one thing I th looking back, I think the schooling, you know, what was the point in going to Great Marlow? I mean, it was just, it was a complete and utter waste of time. Um, you know, we should have just had tutors at Bisham, but I guess they wanted us to mix with other kids and all that, but uh, that didn't really work, did it? Um, I think, um, you know, the living at the Abbey was good. I thought I enjoyed it. I think it was great. I think there needs to be a bit more for us to do in the evenings when there was a bit of downtime. You know, there needs to be a little bit more entertainment or something where we could we could go rather than... Because we literally played football every night or we, you know, went down to Marlow or something. I mean, it was just... it was There wasn't a lot to do in the evening um, or watch TV or something, but, you know... Um, but I think that the on-court stuff and the training and everything, we pushed each other along. And that's where, you know, I just can't, I, I, I just find it, you know, and maybe I'm a bit more old school now, but that whole environment, that competitive environment, whether it's, like I said, queuing up for the breakfast or getting on the bus or getting to the court or, you know, getting yourself down first or whatever it might be, you know, that is such an important environment. And, and the games that we used to play, you know, you can never do it now. You get locked up, right? But the games on the court, you know, the, the butts up and all the stuff we used to do, it was, it was so fun, but competitive at the same time. I mean, remember that doubles game we used to play with up and back, you know, where you'd feed it in, you had to feed up and all that. I mean, the, the, the ructions we had playing that game, you know, but it was all about who's going to win, right? I mean, it's all about who's better. And it was, it was really everyone pushing each other on to try and get the best out of each other and that and i think that it, that environment was was it, the creation of that was was perfect they had the good balance yeah, i'm just listening it's absolutely brilliant to listen to this but it's, it, it almost feels like like both of you have kind of hinted at it already but everything has become so sanitized now in this day and age that you know, like you're almost as a coach, you're afraid to try and set up that type of environment. But I grew up in a very, very mm. similar type of environment like that. Like you're speaking about Chinky uh, over here in Ireland, just with mm. a great group of lads um, doing similar games and um, being creative ourselves. Um, it mm. almost feels now, and I've spoke about this to a couple of other pros as well, that that almost everything has to be structured and set up in order for people yeah. to even come out and do something now. And that, that kind of yeah. creativity is almost gone now. And, and maybe that was a huge part of why you guys were so successful. Yeah, but I think, you know, I think you've got to leave some of it, some of it to, you've got to find a way, right? I mean, if it's, if it's all done for you and it's all made too, too bloody easy, what, it's not worth it. You know, you've got to find a way and then you learn, right? And then, then you actually learn. Or if you've got someone giving you the answers all the time or telling you what to do, when, where, and all the rest of it, you ain't going to learn. I, I, you know, I, don't see, I just don't see how you're going to learn, right? You've got to find a way because if you, if you don't, you, don't know, you just don't know what it means, right? There's no meaning to it. So if you, if you find a way, you've got to fail a little bit along that road, okay, to, to, you know, to, to, get, to understand it hurts when you lose or you hurt, you know, something doesn't work right, whatever. But you've got to go through that. Otherwise, because if you've got someone just telling you what to do, where and when and all the rest of it, you know, and, and how much to train and how much of this, if you've just got someone doing it all the time, you're not thinking. You're not thinking. And that's one, one thing I can't stress enough to, to, to people and players that and especially guys that are trying to play um, you know and, and to try and, and do it properly and go on the tour 
they've they've got they've got to have that. They've got to start thinking about it, and they've got to take responsibility for their own tennis game. They've yeah. got to take responsibility for it because it doesn't matter how much I tell you to go and hit forehands, or Dan tells you to go and hit forehands, or John tells you to go and hit forehands, or backhands, or run and train and do all this. You've got to do it. It's your tennis. It's your responsibility. Get it done. That's the attitude, yeah. and that's what I think. We had at Bisham, um, and actually all along, you know, and after Bisham, I had Danny Sapted, which, which you know, we will go into in a minute. But the the Bisham part was you've got to get it done, and you've got to find a way, you know, and you've got to, you know, and, and amongst us lads there that were trying to find a way, we were all there trying to find a way, you know, we didn't have someone constantly telling us what to do you know and all the rest of it. you had to work it out and you're going to lose some you're going to win some but you're going to you're going to work out what works for you as a, as your you know your tennis the way you play tennis because the way i play is different to dan different to john different you know you've got to find out what works for you and as an individual and and get it done that's the that's the thing like kino was saying at the start with me i like hitting big forwards and big serves well what am i going to try and do when i'm playing hit big forehands and hit big serves. That's what I want to do. I don't want to run around all day, you know, because that's not me. I'm too big. You but know, I'm, I'm a big... Chinks, on that, just, to, just to, to talk about that a little bit, and if I, if I give, like, maybe a couple of, a couple of my views, and, I, and I'm happy for you to disagree with these, agree with these, you know, challenge, challenge me back sure. on them. I'm not sure if I've ever shared this with you, but if I look back at you, age 17, 350 in the world, you didn't have a great... Yeah. You didn't have a great backhand, but you had a you had a world class forehand and a world class serve. You yeah. also you also at that age, I think, and this was kind of as Bisham was coming to an end. You know, I remember coming back one year from America, and it was you and Jimmy Nelson. We were in Nottingham playing a British tour, and I remember you. Yeah. You you went Christmas shopping, and I was coming to meet you guys for food, and you were like. Yeah. Nah, we're just going to get a taxi back to the hotel to then get a taxi back to come and get food. And at that time, the way that it was set up, and this is far from a bashing of the LTA site, because the LTA do a lot of great things, but that was at the time when they were paying for, for all of your expenses. And then okay. I remember one, one, we were very close. I came back, you were playing Wimbledon, you were driving around in a Range Rover, you know, almost... A lot came to what rightly so because I think your your humility in that environment it got you there. You'd gone from this, yeah. you'd gone from this young quiet boy from Somerset to yeah. to just getting your head down and just really thriving in a really competitive env environment. And let's mm. make no bones about it. You were you were on your way to being a top hundred ATP tennis player in the world. Yeah. Your highest ranking was two hundred and fifty one. Yeah. Why? Well, I think this is this comes back to what I was saying about being responsible for your own game. You know, I think I got to the point where I got to 17, 18, doing really well. And I was, you know, I'd had um, Bishop had shut when I was 17. So then we got we, we moved to Queens, had Danny Satsa coaching me, which I thought was great. I had a great time with Danny. He was really good, good for me. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a, that initially at that time we had a squad. I think it was me, Hiltz. Uh, so that's me, Mark Hilton, James Nelson, Ben Ryby. We had Nick Greenhouse in there as well. Um, and I'm trying to think if Auckland was involved. Orky, Orky might have been involved a bit as well. Um, anyway, we had a good squad there. Um, and after about six months a year, 
people started dropping away. So you had, you know, Rybold, Ryby dropped off. Um, Jimmy Nels started fading. Uh, it was really left with I think, me, Hiltz with the main two. Ben um, started fading a bit. Um, anyway, so it was really just sort of me and Hiltz really left, I think. And then, you know, we were but actually was really... What was, what, what was good is that Danny was very much the same saying though you had to be you had to make your strength stronger and and you know you had to be responsible for what you're doing and you know and all that and I actually had good times with Danny I played good, good tennis one men's nationals a couple of times with him um, some good results everywhere and then LTA decided to change the track because like you were saying before the funding that we were getting we, we were getting fully funded at that time um and uh, yeah, that tournament you were talking about, that, that British tour, that was just after me winning the men's nationals in Telford for the first time. And then I played that, played Jimmy Nelson in the final. Um, and I beat him, I think, five and five and one in that final, um, which was played well. It was decent. But that was that time. I remember that. We shared a room that, that, that night, didn't we, Kino, in the, uh, the holiday in there. All three of us were in there. Anyway, um, so we... So that was going well, and it went well for another couple, of, another year or so with that. And then the LTA decided to change. The Danny didn't want to do as much travelling. He had a young family. Um, they then got, uh, and this is the classic mistake back then. And we're talking, you know, twenty years ago, eighteen, twenty years ago now. But at that point, um, the LTA were very much like, well, if you if you want to continue to get the, to get the funding, you have to do what we, you know, you have to work with the guys we want you to work with. Right. That was the that was the sort of the way and, and also your schedule. You know, your schedule of tournaments was like, you know, we're 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 we'll do the schedule because we're, you know, in a way they're paying the bill. Right. You didn't really have a lot of input to what you what you felt was right for you um as a as a as a as an individual. So you sort of go along with this, Kino, you know, this is the problem. You sort of go along with because you think, well, I need the funding, I need this, I need this, I need this, and and, and also we, we weren't aware of any other way of doing it. Yeah. What I mean by that is other, other academies abroad, whatever, and all of us that we weren't really aware of that was an option. You end up going down that road of doing uh, what they want. And then you end, so I ended up going, uh, co getting coached by a guy called Tito Vasquez, who, honest to God, it was the worst, it was, my, it was the worst time of my life. I had, a, I had 18 months or two with this guy. He's there trying to change grips on my shots he's then trying to make me play on clay all the time he's doing you know and i'm and i'm look, I'm, and I'm having massive rucks with this guy right i'm not gonna lie to you i'm having huge rucks the guy was drinking two bottles of wine a night and doing handstands on his head in the restaurant right i mean i'm like what is this 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 anyway and then you've got the guy on the court trying to do this this, this and he's just driving you nuts okay yeah. drive anyway it comes to a point you know um and I think other people have complained about it, you know, this stuff. Anyway, so he, he's suddenly not the flavor of the month anymore, right? So the LTA then decide. And by, by, by the way, what I had a good result with it when I was with this guy. I beat David Enko at Wimbledon, which I was, you know, anyway. But that was, that was by the by. But then, anyway, so, so you had this guy. And then, and then I had a, another guy. I had Martin Bone, who I got on well with. He was good. But again... He was his focus was Greg Rosetsky at the time, and so he was very hit, it was very hit and miss. And it wasn't really so. What what I'm what I'm saying is it what highlights even more to me looking back on my time and where I feel I didn't really take responsibility for my own game. Yeah, and this is why I think it's so important 
to take responsibility for your own game is that period. I didn't do it well enough. Didn't do it well enough. And if I had done it, I'd have told him to get to piss off. And I'm and I'm going to go and do do it my way, really, uh, because that's where I think it went wrong. Is or I had in that from the age of sort of like you know nineteen or twenty to twenty three, which is a big time in your tennis career where you could really make some strides. I was too busy messing around with these guys trying to change grips on forehands and uh, you know and all the rest of it and and and, and play on clay the whole time when I was never going to be a clay court player. And I never wanted to. I never wanted to be right, um, because my strengths were, were, were slightly quicker courts and uh, and all the rest of it. So that's what I'm saying to you. You know, that's why I'm so I'm so for players taking responsibility for their own game because I feel I didn't do that well enough in that period. Chinky, do you know what? Mm. I'm so happy hearing that because I don't think we've ever sat and had that conversation, but. It's exactly mm. what I my reflections on your tennis, literally exactly, yeah. and it's and and, and, mm. and I'm also for those listening, especially if there's players listening, I'm also I'm also so pleased the way that you've you've put it about you taking responsibility. You know, I think too. Many it's me, people, mate. It's me. It's it's all on me. It's nothing. It's no yeah. one else's fault. Yeah, this not you, kid, kid. I mean, you, it's not. It's not your fault. It's not mother's fault. It's not yeah. my coach's fault. It's my bloody fault, right? Yeah, yeah, it's I'm me. Right. I'm the. It's my career. It's my tennis. Okay. I'm the individual. I've got to be responsible, and I, and I wasn't responsible enough at that period, and that pisses me off. Yeah, yeah. Do you think? Do you think that you know, we touched on this earlier? Because we had a little five-minute chat before we started before we started recording. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that when I when I look back and I would I would say I feel quite fortunate on this. I really don't think I do hold too much of of of, of regret. Whereas yeah. when I when I think of our peer group and I won't I won't say names because I don't think it's fair on the podcast. But good friends of ours. Yeah. World class tennis players. You know, I never thought I was a world class tennis player. Maybe that's where my my belief fell down. I I thought you guys were. You know, and maybe, maybe I loved your backhand, Kino. I loved your backhand. Doubles, maybe doubles. Maybe I was a world class doubles player. But in in yeah. terms of in in terms of what I still see from some of the guys is they carry quite a strong regret, and 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 yeah. that regret is is a really difficult emotion to, to get by. And, and then because of that, I, I actually think it's probably held them back in the next stage of their career. Because I think an important I'm thing sure. for us all to remember here is you only play tennis until you're 30, 35, even if you have a great career. Yeah. You've got another 35, 40. Do you think you carry any regret from your tennis? I don't think I, don't think I carry regret. I'm... I'm, I'm... <laughs> That that period of time where I wasn't responsible, I'm pissed off about it. But yeah. that's life, and it's my mistake. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I look at it. It's my mistake. I'm pissed yeah. off. But yeah, you know yeah. what? Life goes on, and and you gotta you gotta work hard. I mean, the, the other bit that is so important here, Kino, and I, I think this does come to some of the people we're talking about here, is that their their view on life. And I might be wrong here, but I just get this feeling sometimes. Their view on just life, I'm not just talking about tennis here, I'm talking about life in general, is that someone owes them something, right? Yeah. And, and because they did this or they, they did that or, you know, whatever. Rubbish. No one owes you jack shit. 
yeah. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to go and sort it out. It's on you. Yeah, no yeah. one owes you anything. The, yeah. This stuff about, you know, oh, I did this or I should be doing that. Or, I should, I don't want to hear it. Just go yeah. and sort it out. Find a way and go and sort it out. I mean, it's just, it, that's what I, I feel that people feel like they're owed something. Yeah, and it, yeah. and it's, it's not a good way to be because yeah, that will yeah. just play on your mind the whole time. And, and it's tiring. You got to just, you just got to just sort it out and get on with it. It's life, you know, find a way. And I think that, that's probably why you don't carry it. And I think you've put that really nicely. And I think that's something that I'll certainly reflect on after this conversation that because you've taken ownership of, of that feeling, mm. you know, it's like the, it's like the comedian who comes onto the stage and the comedian comes onto the stage and he's got a bit of a wonky eye and he, the yeah. first thing he does is he takes the mick out of his eye. Yeah. What he's done there is he's taken ownership of that joke. So now, yeah. so now if somebody laughs at the comedian about his wonky eye, he cannot, he can't do it because, yeah. because yeah. the comedian owns it. And, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's something I'm really passionate about. And I think it's hearing you talk about it. I love it. It tells me we need to get together more and have these chats because you've taken ownership for some of the things you felt you could have done better. But by you doing yeah. that, you now can't be hurt. You know, you can't, no. you know, because, you, because you've owned it. And what you've then done is you've then used that and you've got, and, and I think on my reflection, that's probably what I've done as well. It's not that I haven't regretted stuff. It's that I've yeah. owned and taken accountability for the mistakes I've make, made. And then from there gone, right, I'm going to use this as fuel now to be able to try and, do X, Y, or Z, and and try yeah. and create a. Whereas maybe people that are still are, are harnessing onto those things and, and pointing the finger and pointing the blame at other people, that's okay. when the real the real strong pain is, and that probably prevents them from from moving forward. Really, really fascinating, Chingy. Really fascinating. So yeah, what, I mean, I think I just think on that point though, Ken. I think it's just it's it, for young guys playing and coming up and all the rest of it. It's so important this being responsible for your own game and what you do, you know. And, and and if you really want to do it properly, you've got to you've got to take ownership of it. You know, it doesn't matter how much you know you want them to do it, or John wants them to do it, or you know me or whoever. They've got to want to do it and do it properly. It's it's on them because you can't you can't spend the rest of your life blaming people because you didn't make it. It's not you know it's not going to do anyone any good. Brilliant. So, so why did you, what age were you when you stopped and why did you stop? I was 26, I think, when I stopped playing. I was 26 um, and I, I just got to a point where I was moving on in life. You know, I'd got married. Um, I had got to a point where I actually done quite well that year. I qualified at Wimbledon. Um, uh, I lost the first round, but I qualified. I've been playing pretty well, doing well in challenges. And, you know, I was, pl I was playing all right, but I just felt like, I just felt I needed to do, I needed to make a change, you know, and I just needed to, I, 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 I didn't know if I could carry on doing what I was doing. It was getting expensive, you know, at that point I'm, you know, funding everything myself. Um, and I just, I don't know, I just, I wasn't enjoying the traveling, if I'm being honest. I wasn't enjoying that at that point. Um, uh, and I just, you know, I just, I felt it was the right time to 
you know, to stop. Maybe I could have played on. I should, maybe I should have played doubles. You know, but you know what? I made the decision to do it, and I, that's what I was going to do. Um, and I, I made a conscious decision to go more into the club route of coaching because I didn't want to do the traveling and all the rest of it with the performance stuff, which I, because I felt like, you know, I wasn't enjoying all the traveling, being away from home with the, with my wife. And then I, you know, we had kids a couple of years later anyway. So it, was, it wouldn't have really worked for me, but I, you know, I didn't, I, I made a conscious effort to go down the sort of the club route rather than the performance yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, and it just—it was really that, really. I mean, I mean, I think it's yeah, it was, it was a combination of that, you know, of finances, of, of of life, and where I was at, and you know, and all the rest of it, and you know, and I felt it was a good time to, you know, maybe stop and you know, and, and, and do and go into sort of the coaching side of it and all the rest of it, really. It was actually one of one of the things I wanted to touch on today, the fact that you did go down the club coaching, and and, and obviously that, and, and I at the time I, I I knew that as well that it was a very conscious decision. And, I, and that's obviously great, and that's and, and I'd like to talk about that in a second. But I also think it is a real shame that that the the elite level of the sport in the UK is missing out on your experience and your brain, mm. you know. And I, mm. and, and and I think it's we we don't have we can't have had that many players over the last twenty years who were a junior Grand Slam champion who. Who finished the year world number one, you know, doubles, but you singles ranking was very high, wins over yeah. top top players in the world, winning ATP events at seventeen, <laughs> beating players like Nikola, Nikolai Davidenko, and and then have had the chance to reflect. Do you can you see yourself ever moving into a role like that, or or even if it was in a in a consultancy role, or you know, because it, it does seem a shame that that experience goes to, not not that it's going to waste, but that it doesn't, it's not impacting, I suppose, the next yeah. generation of juniors. Um, good question, Dan. Good question. Um, I do have moments when I'm daydreaming in my car when I'm driving to work where I do miss the performance side of tennis um because like i just said to you i love that environment that competitive environment and it's a completely different environment when you're in a club i have different bits in the club where i've got to be quite competitive with right but the on-court stuff is not right it's all it's it's the teaching side of it is not as competitive as you as you would you would then make the performance side of being on court, yeah. so I do miss that part, and I do I do think about it uh, more so in the last year or so, um, where I see players, I see young guys playing, and I I still play some of the national club league stuff, yeah. right? The national club league matches, I play against some of them, and I still kick their ass. You know, you love it, but the, 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 but the thing is with it is because. I see these players and they're all good athletes. They hit the ball really nicely and they play nice tennis and all the rest of it, but they don't know how to play the game. Yeah. And what I mean, the game of tennis is a lot different than just smashing forehands back and forth and yeah. all the rest of it. If you, want to, if you want to learn how to play the game of tennis, like if you watch Murray play, he plays the game of tennis, right? Or these top guys, they play the game. They don't just hit the ball nicely. So, you know, if you're playing some guy who just wants to rip balls from the baseline, well, just don't, you don't want to get into that exchange, right? Because you, he's, he's going to like that more than you. So you've got to change it up. So when I'm playing these guys, I'm changing it up. I'm slicing backhands. I'm coming in a bit. I'm doing this, this, and they, they, they hate it, right? But that's, 
there's part of me thinks, Christ, what if, what are people, what are some of the guys doing with these kids? Are they, are they, 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 they all seem, a lot of them seem the same. A lot of them play the same. Um, but look, the game's changed a lot from when I was playing and all the rest of it. But, but I do think they, that some of these kids, A, they need to know where they win their points the strengths where are their strengths where are the where, where do they actually win their point how are they going to win their points if you ask a lot of these guys i don't reckon they know really honestly they might not know um and and the second point is it's just learning how to win yeah. you know i mean learn how to bloody win and what to do and how to do this you know it's it's, it's, it's a and that's maybe i could help people a bit with you know of that and again it, it comes back it all comes back to taking responsibility for your own game. I think you're just a bit, something a little bit ironic, that you're now winning matches by craft. Yeah. <laughs> which, which you, wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it, Pernod. You wouldn't believe it, but it's... But, but it's <laughs> I, mean, I, I would believe it because you're a skillful, you're a skillful boy. But it's it almost... The ironic thing for me is almost trying to develop too many of those other skills was maybe yeah. one of the downfall for you. You know, and it was yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm a big believer that at the high level of the sport that you need two superpowers, and yeah. you know, and not just one anymore. Maybe back in our day it was one, but I, I believe it's two yeah. now. You know, and you might yeah. get the manure who one of his superpowers is his movement. You know, Rafa yeah. one of his superpowers is his attitude. You know, and, mm. and he, you know you've got people with grit. You've got whereas if I go back to you, yeah. I remember playing you a few times and just telling myself, don't give him a four, just don't give him a forehand. Mm. Don't give him one. I was, so, you had such, there was such fear of mm. when the ball went on your forehand. And I think you had such confidence and you believed in that so much at the time. It wasn't always the prettiest, but it was like, whoa, what happened there? And you, and you yeah. just backed yourself. And, and yeah. I remember actually playing you once and I was just sort of volleying to your backhand. But then this, the problem with that is you, you then develop a bit of this skill naturally because people were coming to your backhand so yeah. much. Actually, your backhand yeah. ended up becoming yeah. a nice shot. But the simplicity mm. of how you played was if it went mm. to your forehand, you nailed it. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, it, yeah, I, I don't know if it's really relevant other than the fact that I just find it quite ironic now that, you know, you're finding... Yeah. And, and obviously, over the years, you, you learn that way and you have to adapt a bit like the footballer that maybe loses his legs a little bit. They have to adapt how they play football. Um, yeah. To play the way you played and winning under 18 European championships on clay, to do that, mm. it, it had to be a superpower. Because unless you serve massive and hit forehand massive, and you don't really have a whole lot else, and I, I say that without any disrespect because you did. Yeah, obviously mm. you did. Mm is you have to be special at that. And I think what I yeah. see a lot of nowadays is people trying to smack serves and smack fawns and they're just not good enough. So then, no. then if it's not big enough and then, and then their backhand's a bit of a weakness and then they don't have a lot of craft and they don't really understand how they're going to finish the point off, bottom line yeah. is it's, it's too easy to beat them because someone else will serve really well and they'll always get some looks on breaking their serve, you know, however it might be. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's a fascinating one. It really is. And, and, and how, in terms, of, in terms of all of your experiences, again, this yeah. is the question that jumped into my head as you were talking. How, how, how do you think they've shaped you as a coach? 
but maybe how how do you think they've also maybe shaped you as a businessman you know who's become a you know you have to you have to be pretty business savvy to have become a head coach at such a special club like queen's club well i think i certainly think that the 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 business side of things is it's it's, it's finding a way you know it, it's it, it's definitely uh, there's a relationship there between the on court and off court. You know, during it, when you're playing a match, you're trying to find a way to win, and you could, you're, you're trying all sorts of different ways to do it, right? And it's the same when you're, you know, uh, off court trying to run a tennis business or whatever you're trying to do. You got to find you got to find different ways to make it work. And I think that, that I've definitely brought that from tennis is is that you just got to keep going and trying to find a way. You know, and that, and, and if it, if you don't get the answer straight away, then try something else. You know, and and, and just move on, coach. Um, I think it's so different the from being a player to a coach. Um, I think my, I think I've got reasonable paint, um, and that's probably got better as I've gone along. Um, I think uh, my. My, the way I am, the, the, the sort of I've got I'm just I'm a quite a personable person, so I can I can talk to anyone on any level, or whatever. It, it doesn't really bother me. That's helped me from sort of traveling around the world, playing tennis, doing all this sort of stuff. That's definitely helped me um, on the coaching side. Um, I think working with many good coaches, um, especially Barkers and Jimmy T and Danny Sapsford and Colin Beecher and people like that, I've had. You know, you just pick up things. From, I was just lucky. And I had Paul Anacone, I had a bit of help with at, at times. And um, Brad Gilbert, I did a few bits with. And you just, you just pick things up. I was just very lucky to come across these people. Um, and, and I think that's certainly helped me with what I'm trying to do. And do you think that relates to coaching? You know, so say, like, let's say that what you've picked up, from Paul Anacone, Brad Gilbert, Ian mm. Barclay, you know, these guys that have coached Grand Slam champions. How does yeah. that relate to club coaching? I'm sure it does, but it would be interesting to know what you think. Yeah, it does. It does, but it's it's obviously um, you're not you're not trying to teach you're not trying to teach the sort of the Ferrari of of, uh, of tennis, right? So you're the way you're you're going about it, the technical side of it, you've got to tone it down a little bit so everyone gets it. Um, and gets the feeling. I mean, I think the one thing I definitely picked up from from Anacone is how simple he would keep things. He'd keep it incredibly simple. I think there's a lot of over coaching going on out there. I think everyone tries to make it not everyone, but a lot of people try and make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. As and Barkers was the same. Kid, you remember he was, he would make things very very simple for you to understand. He break it down in a way, and I think that's. I've definitely got that from those guys is that it doesn't need to be complicated. It's just got to be very simple. There's got to be a structure to it, but it's, it's got to be that so everyone can understand it. Right. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't need to be over the top. And I think um, that has certainly helped on the club side uh, because again, you've got all, le all levels, abilities, ages, um, and you've got to be able to adapt to whatever you've got in front of you, right? So, yeah. One quick thing on that, very quick, is, is Anacone would have been a great coach for you. You would have been great. I loved it. I did stuff, when he was working at Henners, I, I practiced with Henners a lot. Um, and Coney was coaching Henners at the time, and he was brilliant. I mean, I used to sit there for, for hours asking questions about Pete Sampras, right? I love Pete Sampras. 
yeah. and some of the stuff i mean i remember a great there was a great i'm sure you wouldn't mind me telling this story because it's quite it's quite a funny one um when he first started coaching pete sampras um you know obviously a big job and you know he was um he was pumped right to get to be coaching pete pistol pete right so He's there and, he, and they, he's training and, they, and he was doing these practice sets. And he was doing these practice sets and Pete could not win one of these practice sets. He was losing these practice sets every single time, like six, four, seven, five, whatever. He kept losing these practice sets, right? And it got on, it went sort of a week or two on and, and, and Coney kept thinking, oh, Christ, what is going on? What am I doing wrong here? He can't win a set. Like, what, is, what am I doing? What am I doing wrong in these practice sets, right? And then Pete, sort of, uh, then Coney sort of, I guess, built up the courage to sort of say to him, like, Pete, what, what, what's going on with these practices, you know? Um, and anyway, Pete turned around to him and just said, bud, relax, it's practice. That's what I'm doing. I'm just practicing, right? And then he'd go out there and go out into a tournament and win the bloody thing, you know, because he was just, <laughs> in what he was doing in those practice sets, he was practicing what he had to work on, what he had to get better at, Right. So then when he got to the match court, he just turned it on. But that, I mean, he was, he was very much like that, right? Do you remember playing, watching some of his matches? I mean, the guy, the guy could turn on, like, almost whenever he wanted to. Um, I mean, his serving displays, I mean, he would get to the forefront and win with him by just almost playing, like, he'd be serving sort of exhibition stuff, right? I mean, it was incredible. But um, On that, though, Chink, I think, I think just a, a game to any juniors listening to that or players listening to that, I think there's, mm. a, there's a subtlety to this as well. Mm. Some players say oh, it's only it's only practice, and then they yeah. dis, and then they disengage and think when it comes to a match I can engage and it'll all be fine. Whereas it sounds mm. like what Sampras is saying there to Anacone is I'm, I'm I'm engaged in the areas that I'm trying to practice. You know, so if he's yeah. if he's working on getting a bit more work on his second serve, not that Pete needed that, but if he's working on you know stepping up onto a high backhand or, or whatever it might be, he's keeping the perfect yeah. practice. And then obviously yeah. when game time comes around, those skills are yeah. developed. It's an important subtlety because because yeah. yeah. Otherwise, I know exactly. I know what you're saying. I mean, that that's the other part of is is always going on the practice court with the perfect. I mean that is really important. Um, it's it's just basically uh, he would go on every single time, and when I say he, I mean Pete Sampras would go on every single time, and he would have a purpose. He would constantly have a purpose. He wouldn't just go on there to hit balls. He ne he would never just go on to hit balls. Um, that's just what you know. That's just the way he was. That's what Tony was trying to get across: is that every time he's practicing, he's trying to get better at something. So he wasn't worried about the winning the practice set. He was what he was worried about was improving what he needed to practice. So he and that's that's why he was a phenomenal player. Is that he was just constantly trying to improve. Yeah. I mean, the other thing he would say, the other thing he'd say about you know, and just going back to sort of keeping things simple, um, you know, Pete had an incredible record of getting himself out of trouble on his serve, right? I mean, he'd be like love forty down, fifteen forty down. He's still favourite to, to win his serve, to hold his serve. And Pete, uh, and, and I said to Coney about this, I said, like, what, what was he thinking in, in those situations? Like, what would he be thinking? How would he approach them? How would he approach when he's 15-40 down, you know, in the third, 4-3, 15-40? What's he thinking? He said, the guy would keep it incredibly simple. 
he would be thinking, because, you know, okay, he served volley quite a lot, right, when he was serving. So he would be literally thinking, serving down the tee, and I'm going to put my volley there. And that, he said, he was just, and then he didn't, he didn't get caught up in all this decision-making and, 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 and what he was going to do. Was he had a plan, he stuck to it, and he just did it, you know. And he believed, but, but, but the big thing is he believed in his game because he's, he was responsible for his own game, and also he practiced with a purpose. Uh, that's that was the key thing from him about Pete is that on those that's that's how he operated. Very good, good story. Um, um, unbelievable, Chinky! What an insight uh, to one of the best ever athletes we've ever had. Um, now you've been all over the world. You've you've played numerous tournaments at the best tournaments in the world. What would what would you uh, describe as your best experience as a player? Best experience as a player was the first time I played Davis Cup um, in Birmingham against Portugal. That was a that was a great feeling. Um, that was a great feeling. Uh, the I guess a couple of things playing at Wimbledon for the first time. In the main draw I played against Nicholas Massu. Um, that was a pretty special feeling. Winning the U.S. Open doubles with Jimmy Nels. That was that was also a, a, bit, a bit great thing as a junior. Answer the question, uh, boy. You've, you, what's you, your best one? Come on, man. Number one. Best one. I guess. I guess the best feeling I I had was beating Davidenko in five sets. That was a great feeling. Yeah, I guess that was a good. That was a great feeling. Beating him in five at Wimbledon was a good feeling. And then, how old was Rafa? When you played him in the next round, <laughs> he was about seven, he was seventeen. I was twenty-one, I think. But he was that good. I didn't know. I knew he was good. I mean, he was top fifty in the world at that point. He was good. Um, when you're playing him, when I, what the main thing I noticed when I played him, I couldn't get, I couldn't stretch the guy. You know, he was hitting out of the corner. You know, he was. And he, he's like he's almost got two forehands, right? So he's he's playing. He, he's just he's just hitting out of every corner. Um, very difficult to put the guy under pressure. Um, I immediately felt that um, at, at that at that age, he was definitely uh, going to be good. No, he's done all right. He's done all right. Class. Yeah. Chinky, Chinky, to finish off, mate. Yeah. You've you've been an absolute star. Um, yeah, it's been it's been brilliant, and and like I say just having a nice chat with you about, about the sport. Just to, just to finish off, quick fire questions. Serve or return? Yeah. Serve. Grass or clay? Grass. Singles or doubles? Singles. ATP Cup or Davis Cup? Davis Cup. Traditional. It's going to be. You're not going to go away from tradition. Yeah, that's it. Not for me, boy. IT, ITF juniors or futures? Futures. Beer or water? Water. <laughs> and things are <laughs> you, After this, you joke, but after this, I'm going to try and... I'm gonna, I've been running. I do loads of running now, and I'm, I'm trying to get down under 20 minutes from a 5K. I'm going to go out after this and just run, run like the wind, thinking about Pernod. Take, take the motivation. Um, Gilbert yeah. or Anacone? Anacone. Groundy or volley? 
Grandy. Keanu or Pernod? Pernod. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a personal one at the end. That's 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 the nickname that uh, those are the two nicknames that he gives me. So we've uh, we found out that from now on it's Pernod. It's Pernod. Chinky, it's always Pernod. You've been a star, mate. Thanks, thanks, thanks a lot for coming on to the podcast. Um, no worries, mate. People are going to learn a lot from that, mate. You've got amazing, you've got amazing, amazing experiences, and I think the way that you've been able to then process those experiences and reflect on it is mm. is inspirational. And 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 I and I and I really hope at some point, you know, and I know you have an amazing life and you do what you do i really hope at some point that some of those those amazing insights can also be passed on to to other up-and-coming players because i think people will learn a lot and and i hope from this podcast that that'll be a, a platform to be able to do that as well so thank you yeah. very much stay safe no worries, buddy. family man and yeah, you uh, too mate and good to see you yeah good to speak to you mate take it easy Thanks for listening, guys, and a big thank you to, to Lee for that, giving up his time and, and talking through his story and being, being so honest. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great to connect with a, a good friend as well. Please make sure you are subscribing so you don't miss out. We're, we're getting lots of podcasts out currently, so make sure you're not missing them. Subscribe, like, share. Let's spread, spread the good word. A big thank you from myself and John.